Gwen asked me what is the scripture, and I tell her. She read it, and she goes, oh, you're in good shape. You, this, is, this is a positive message, unless you have some way to turn it negative. Um, but anyway, it is. It's a positive message of God's power to heal but bef- or to, to meet our needs. But before I go into that, um, when Gwen was growing up in Sunday school, she can tell you all the different men that impacted her life, that taught in the Sunday school, that were there to teach the kids. And I started thinking about that from a perspective of how a challenge it would be for the men in this church to you know, be a part of teaching our kids in the Sunday school, and not on a weekly basis, but to be able to make ourselves available to assist those who are teaching, um, or if we get vetted properly and trained significantly, we might even be able to teach. Um, But for our kids to see men, be leaders and to be teachers of our kids. Um, I just think, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that. And I just think that's, you know, if if we have the opportunity to just to do that. Um, I also want to share something that um, I can't share a lot because I'm not even sure what to share. But um, based on the decision that I made this week, um, there's a family that is very, very, very angry at me. And um, I I still believe it was the right decision. And I know that when you're in leadership, you make certain decisions that cause pain to others because they don't understand. Um, And we spent over three, three hours with the family trying to explain and no matter what I said, it continued to cause them, they, were, they weren't gonna be unangry. Um, and so things were said on Facebook, things are still gonna be going on social media. There may be other things that will be said. If you hear anything, if anything hits the news or whatever gets into the beacon or whatever, or you see something on Facebook, don't hesitate to call us. We're not going to shy away from anything that happened, but we're not going to present problems that aren't there and make it worse. Um, But it made me think of Paul and Loretta as leading a school and the amount of times that you were misunderstood, but you had to make tough decisions that um, caused people to just say things or to point all their anger at you. And it just gave me a greater sense of empathy. At the same time, um, we, have, we, we know a man who is Jewish who goes to a synagogue in Lombard. And that synagogue has had threats against them. And just the amount of anger and hurt and pain and feelings of betrayal and loneliness and isolation that's out there 
and how people don't have a venue for getting rid of it. If you don't have Christ, how do you get rid of that? And so they have to find some target um, to, to be able to just channel their anger towards that target. And um, today, I'm that target. Um, and I'm glad to be. And, I'm, and I say that, I'm not glad to be like, hello, I want this. But um, it was a decision that I made, so rightfully that's where it should go. It shouldn't go to somebody else. Um, so anyway, just if you have questions... She's taken this sort of hard. Um, so, and I appreciate that. And I've had a couple of different people come up to me and give me an amazing words of encouragement and support. And so I appreciate it. Anyway, as we've been studying in the Gospel of But would you also pray for um, Allison and Anna? Would you come on up here also? I don't see Sherilyn. And she's with the children. She's with the kids. And Coletta. Um, and and pray, for the, pray for the preschool and, and the staff that's there. Gwen asked me to pray for the staff at the preschool today. I go, well, half of them are first press. She goes, what, because B.J. Weber's there? No, I know, because they go there. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, Bob, thank okay. you. Thank you very much. Thank you. As I mentioned, we've been studying in the Gospel of Matthew, and we've noted a, a progression from Matthew chapter 11 
up to this point. Matthew chapter 11 highlighted the majesty of Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ over all things. Uh, chapter 12 contrasted uh, Jesus' character, Christ's character, with that of the Pharisees, um, constantly showing how different uh, Christ was from the religious. Matthew 13 showed us the parables and how the special use of parables in teaching. And then we came to Matthew chapter 14, and I didn't want to do another depressing sermon, so Bob offered to talk about um, John the Baptist being killed. Um, and if you did, weren't here last Sunday, I would encourage you to listen to that sermon. And if you were here that sun, last Sunday, I would encourage you to re-listen to that sermon, because I think that was one of the best sermons on the, the that I've heard, Bob. It really was fantastic. In, uh, in private, I'll tell you what Gwen said. Um, <laughs> you know, why insult? Well, why why should I insult myself even more? Uh, <laughs> so, and now we come to the point where Jesus performs one of his most famous miracles, the feeding of five thousand, and actually. It's more than 5,000. It's 5,000 men. You had children. You had spouses. You had, you know, other. And it could have been 10, 15, 20,000. Who knows? But it's far more than just 5,000. And so it started in verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. And healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Excuse me. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. And here's an amazing picture of Jesus' compassion on people, all people. Because in this crowd of five to 20,000 people, they were not all believers. They were, they were just there because they heard that Jesus did these miracles and maybe we were going to get in on one. Um, and so he's there. Now try, also try to picture this context. Jesus just heard about John the Baptist being beheaded. And the disciples had been out ministering. And so he says, we need to get away. I need to reflect. I need to pray. I need some time alone with God. And the disciples need that. So they get in the boat to go across the lake. But it's not that far, you know, six miles, for the people who find out about this to go around to the other side and to see, to get Jesus. When he got there, the crowds had already gathered. Um, thousands of them waiting for him to minister. Christ was tired. He was in need of rest. If there was ever a time where he could say, you know what, guys, come back tomorrow. You know, I, I, need to be, I need alone time with God. I need alone time with the disciples. They're tired. We need some rest. I got to tell you, if I saw that crowd and I was coming to shore, I would have said, hey, guys, turn around. <laughs> 
<laughs> keep rowing the other way. Um, so Jesus had a right to do that. But when Jesus steps ashore and sees the crowd, his reaction is immediate and instinctive. He does three things with the multitude. First of all, he feels compassion. He feels compassion for them. He looks out and he sees all these, this mass of humanity who are hungering for something. And he feels compassion for them. But it's just not feeling compassion. Say, okay, felt a little compassion, and now, you know, get back in the boat and get out of here. He does two other things. He heals them, and he teaches them. So he cares for them. So it's not a compassion that just feels. It's not a compassion that just says, yeah, I feel compassion. The comp it's a compassion that says they need something, and because they need something, I'm going to do something. And that's really the compassion that God calls us to have. Not just a compassion that says, wow, things are bad out there, but a compassion that says, I need to do something. I need to do something. Um, yesterday, I was at a birthday party. And while I was at the birthday party, there was a lady there who was talking, and she said, her husband has a CDL. And I said, really? She goes, yeah. And I, and I go, and he's also a chalk artist, one of those 3D chalk artists that you see. He's, he's the Chicago master artist or something, champion artist. The guy is unbelievable what he does. And so I said, you know, we have a ministry at our church called Teen Night. And we're always looking for people to drive the kids on Friday night. And he goes, I think my husband would love to do that as long as he can minister. You know, as long as he can minister. And so I gave him uh, Aaron's uh, Facebook page for Teen Night. And so I think they might be calling you. It's compassion, but it's compassion that says, okay, I can use something of my gift, something of my talent, and I will, I will put it to practice. I will put it to practice. But anyway, evening comes, and... The disciples come to him and say, this is a desolate place, and the day is over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Now, that's not an uncaring statement to make. He realizes it's late. He realizes they're going to be hungry. We don't know how to take care of it. So go, go send them to go get food for themselves. But in essence, they are saying, Lord, you need to send these people home. You know, it's getting too late. Um, send them away. And Jesus' response is, they don't need to go away. You feed them. And there's two things that I think that are there. Number one, Jesus is not used to sending people away without meeting their needs. You know, they came, he saw the need, he says, no, we're not going to send them away until we address their needs. That's the kind of Savior, that's the kind of God we serve. One who truly cares about our needs. Um, and But when you read through the scripture, you'll see that Jesus isn't accustomed to sending people away. But you will also see where the disciples on a pretty regular basis say, send them away. You know, the children came up to Jesus, send them away. Jesus said no. The Canaanite woman came up to Jesus and said, send her away. He said, no. And so 
there were people that were coming to Jesus that other people said shouldn't come. And Jesus says, no, don't send them away. You minister to their needs. Um, and so you just see that on a regular basis. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, and he's saying to us, I am placing the responsibility on you to minister. It's not an option. You don't have a choice. If you're going to be the light in the world, that's what you're going to come up with. And you're going to want to say, go away. But, yeah, no. So, you know, the people who walk into this church who aren't believers, who live a different lifestyle, who may be from all kinds of alternate experiences, God says, love them. Minister to them. It's not an option. It's not an option for us to just say, go away. It's our option, our responsibility, to minister to them. Now, the reality is, is that sometimes we will minister to those people, and they don't want to be ministered to. And so it gets really ugly and really messy. Um, and that's just that you see throughout the scripture. We like it to be nice, but even Jesus had Judas. And it got real ugly and real messy for Jesus. So when we say, yes, I'm serving Christ, it's not always going to be, wow, that's wonderful. You know, look how happy everybody is because of the things we're doing. You know, some people are going to say, like what Anna said, the darkness hates the light. And when a person is truly living in darkness, they're not going to appreciate some light being shed upon their behavior. But there's a second thing he's teaching. He's giving them the, that command. He's teaching them that in order to minister the way he wants them to minister, they can't do it on their own power. Look at what he tells them. Feed the multitudes. Really? There's 15,000 people out there. There's us, and we have nothing. And you want us to feed the multitudes. Um, and if you read in the John's Gospel, you realize that Andrew has found, you know, some fish and some loaves. Five loaves, two fish. He comes back. That's all they've got to feed them. Um, and also in John's Gospel, the story, because much longer than in Matthew's, Philip, who is sort of the um, statistical pessimist, he, he tallies up the toll. He says, wait a second, it's going to cost this much to feed all them. We don't have that kind of money. In so many days, hey, we don't have enough. We don't have enough. And that's pretty much standard what a lot of us end up doing. There's a little bit of that statistical pessimist in all of us. That before we're going to say, I'm going to trust God, we have to know the end results. We have to know where it's going to happen. I'll be in marriage counseling, and somebody will say, I'll say, you know, did you hear what the other person said? And they, well, no, what'd they say? And I'll say something, well, I'll do that if they do it first. It's almost like they want to guarantee that the other person is going to do something before they're willing to do it and say, you know what, I'm just going to trust God and I'm going to do what God wants me to do in hopes that that will help solve the problem that we have. Instead, they want evidence. And folks, that's not living by faith. 
And when we live by faith, it's not by evidence. And so, and then Andrew comes and says, hey guys, I know it's not much, but I have five loaves and two fish. And I could just imagine them saying, oh yeah, really, Andrew, come on. You think that's going to su supply the needs? I mean, they must have just laughed at Andrew. Because what would we have done if Andrew had walked into our presence and said, hey, I checked out the audience and we got five loaves and two fish. How would you have responded if you were one of the disciples? Um, but don't miss what Jesus is doing. Every step of the way, Jesus is making it evident to them that under their own power, they can't do it. They can't do it. There's no way. Um, they must confess that the resources they have are unbelievably small in compared to the need that is there. And every one of us, whether we realize it or not, has either come to that point or we will come to that point soon. We start out in our marriage thinking that we will always have harmony and peace. See, even by some of the chuckles, we begin to realize that it's not always harmony and peace. That you would always be able to love your spouse unconditionally and that no matter what they do, you will just say, oh, well done, good and faithful servant. Our resources are inadequate. There's a person out there that just right now just hates me. I don't have the resources to change that. And they don't have the resources to get rid of that hate without Christ. Um, you thought you could raise your children to be self-sufficient, happy, self-confident, and just, you know, just perfect kids. And then you woke up. You know? Um, and, it's, and emotionally and then spiritually, we just sort of expect life to be this way. And that we think that we can do it. And then pretty soon we come to the realization that we, we don't have the resources. We can't do it on our own. That we are inadequate in so many ways. But it's when you feel that and you surrender that, that that's when God has you in a place where he can show his miracles. And even if you have not felt any of those things yet, I don't want to be a pessimist because Gwen said that this is going to be a happy message, but it's going to happen. Um, and so Jesus exposes this truth to the disciples. His powerful provision begins only when we recognize our limits. His provision only takes place when we recognize our limits. And so then in Matthew 14, verse 19, Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and take in the five loaves and two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. He accepts the boy's gift and gives thanks. And the mystery of that blessing, the small becomes great, and they all received as much as they needed. And what's interesting, it doesn't give you any history or any explanation how that happened. They just kept on feeding, and food kept on showing up. And it reminds me of the widow in the Old Testament 
where she feeds Elijah, and then he goes, and she goes, but I only have this much flour and this much oil. He says, well, go ahead and keep on, don't worry about it. And every day there was enough flour, and every day there was enough uh, oil, and no, with no explanation for where it came from. And they did not go hungry. And then the other situation where uh, widow's husband died, and they were going to, you know, sell the two children into slavery because she couldn't pay. And he said, just collect all the jars you can and fill them with oil. Well, I only have one jar of oil. Close the door, fill all your jars, and keep on filling them. And when she, after she filled them all, she said, I'm done. And they found another jar, and they filled it all up. And after it was all done, he said, now go and sell all the oil, and you will have paid off all your debts. Doesn't say where the oil came. It just kept on. It was like going to a magic trick and keep on pouring water into something that kept on filling up, and it never ended. That's the power of God. And sometimes we forget that. We forget that it's God who miraculously provides. Um, and then in Matthew 14, 20 and 21, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. The offering had been meager, five loaves, two fish. The miracle dramatic, 15,000 or whatever people were filled, and the provision abundant. It wasn't, they all got a piece. It wasn't like, okay, we got to make these five loaves, you know, so everybody gets a, a, a morsel. They all ate until they were satisfied. Until they were satisfied. Um, and then there was 12 baskets that were left over, and one of those baskets would be the equivalent of somebody carrying a basket that would give them three days' supply of food while they were traveling. So it was an abundant um, amount that they were left with. What a picture of our contemporary existence. Terrifying problems that defy human imagination, that defy human solution. The breakdown of primary human relationships, the immorality that's taking place, the crime, the hurt, the bigotry, the prejudice, the things that are just producing hate that is out there, that is beyond what human understanding can do. There's, for many, there's just a sense of hopelessness and despair. And it seems to paralyze the human spirit. But that's when Jesus steps in. And his word addresses all of this. Because we will see problems in our own mind, and God says, no, I've got that one. And we'll see another problem. says, no, God says, I've got that one. We say, it's impossible. And God says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. We say, I'm too tired. And God says, I will give you rest. We say, nobody loves me, God says, what? I love you. We say, I can't go on. God says, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. We say, I can't figure things out. God says, I will direct your steps. I don't know what to do next. I don't know how to respond to this. 
But God says, I will direct your steps, Andy. We say, I can't do it. God says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We say it's not worth it. God says, I'm working all things together for your good. We say, we say, I can't forgive myself. God says, I forgive you. I forgive you. We say, I can't manage. God says, I will supply every need according to my riches and glory. We say, I'm afraid. God says, fear not. I am with you. We say, I am worried. God says, cast all your anxieties upon me, for I care for you. We say, I'm not smart enough. God says, I give you the wisdom of my son, Jesus, and his righteousness and his sanctification and his redemption. We say, I feel all alone. God says, I will never forsake you or leave you. We say, I can't witness. God says, go forth and make disciples. We say, I can't forgive. And God says, pray for your enemies. What is it that we say I can't do? And what is the promise from God that says I can do it through you? And that's what we have to hold on to. The promises of God. The only thing you need is need. Only thing you need is need. And if anybody here has a need, you're in a very good place. Um, you have a need that you cannot, cannot meet, you offer it to God for his provision. Secondly, the second thing, the size of a task should not be used as our excuse for not attempting it. Um, I've made a decision that whenever Bob preaches, I'm going to probably go work with the kids. And my first response would have been, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and God says, I will give you the strength and the wisdom to do that. <laughs> I hate preaching sometimes. <laughs> Especially in this crowd that just brings it right back to me. <laughs> but to just, to care, to do that. So the, the size of the task should not be used as an excuse for our attempt to not try something. What you have, plus the presence of Christ or faith, is as much as we need. Is as much as we need. And the Lord did not materialize food out of thin air. Although he could have, he took something that was already there and multiplied it. And just multiplied it. Um, again, he doesn't need our help. He invites us. And I found it interesting. He says, now, I've provided this. Now you go feed them. And that's what he says to us. I've provided for you. Now you go feed them. I've provided for you. Now you go minister. You be the light in the darkness. The worst thing that can happen in a situation, like whether it be happened at a Roar Christian, when you know, they got attacked, or when a synagogue gets attacked, or a church gets attacked, or a person gets attacked, the worst thing that can happen is that we attack back, or two, we shut down. We stop saying, you know, it's just not worth reaching out to people because look what happens when you do. You know, it just, it's, it's, it's hurtful. Instead we say, you know what? God still calls us to be a light. 
um, in the darkness. God still calls us to have an impact on others. Um, and then third, those whom God uses to minister to the needs of his crowd are also those who gain the most from serving others. See, I've seen people withdraw, or I've seen people say, no, I can't work with kids, or I can't do teen night, or I can't witness, or I can't do that. And so it's because all those can'ts, they hold back. And you know what they miss? They miss watching a person come to Christ. They watch a kid walk up to somebody and give them a hug and say, thank you for loving me. They miss to see the power of God working in another person's life to see a marriage healed, to see a relationship healed, to see lives transformed, to see a kid who is going down one path all of a sudden going down another path and their lives transformed. See, when we don't do those things, we miss out on the greatest opportunity to see God perform his miracles. And yet the danger is that we, we don't do that. We just say, no, we'll let somebody else do that. Um, it is so special when we do soups on because we have a group of people that come in here on Wednesday at noon and there's soup and they're getting served. But what is absolutely amazing is to see the people who aren't a part of our church. I would say 80% of the people don't go here that come for soup. And, you know, and there's um, Christine invited uh, one of the ladies that she line dances with and the lady sits there and goes, you do this all the time? And Christine says, yeah, we do this every Wednesday. And it doesn't cost anything? No, it doesn't cost anything. It's free. And then the people in the, uh, in our, that work around us all come over. And you see how appreciative they are and how much it blesses them. But if we didn't do it, we would never experience it. We would never see the blessings of what God does. That's the beauty of Jesus saying to the disciples, I, I provided for you. You don't have to worry about how it's going to be done. You just need to be the feet that get out there and do it. And so they did. And so they did. When we give ourselves in the service of others, God cares abundantly for our own needs, and we get to see firsthand the miracles of God. When we face difficulties, we should never, we should be, never limit the ways that God can minister to us and through us. We dare not demand a miracle, but we dare not deny one. Father, I just praise you and thank you for this day. Thank you for the time that we have to come together to worship you. And Lord, as you just show your miracles now and how they impact the people's lives, help us to recognize that you are a miracle-working God. And although the miracles may not be the same, help us to never stop being surprised by the way that you perform miracles in the lives of people today. And help us to be a people who will step forward and say, even though it can get messy, even though I may not know exactly what to do or how to do, I'm willing to step forward so that I too can witness the miracle that love can bring. I thank you, I praise you, and I ask these things. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
And all God's people said amen.